There is such thing as knowing too much. In this episode, we're talking about why having too much information on your trauma is actually keeping you stuck in your healing process. We're gonna talk about this in this episode of The Truth and Our Trauma. Christian Counseling on the go, sign me up. Faithful Counseling is Christian counseling that is available to you wherever you are and on your schedule. And we've partnered with them to bring you 10% off of your first month. To sign up and get started, go to getfaithful.com forward slash valor. I think there comes a point for a lot of us in our healing journey where we just have too much information. We know too much about our trauma. We know too much about our story and we don't know what to do with it. We're holding on to all of these pieces and we don't know what to do with it. And what it reminds me of is, I want you to think back to where you were when the lockdowns for COVID first happened. I was actually on spring break with my kids. Uh, family friends of ours had rented a vacation home and had invited us to come down. And so we were at the beach. And as we were watching everything unfold on the television, you know, we started seeing all the stats, all of the information that was coming in about those who were losing their lives to this disease and, you know, what their best estimates and best guesses were about its mortality rate and just all of this information that was coming out, but yet nobody knew what to do with it. Nobody knew how to make sense of all of it. And so what ensued, we all know, was just this great sense of, of fear and this great anxiety over this relatively new and unknown virus and what what the long-term implications were. And I think a lot of times, you know, we we see, you know, that that event in time and we think about the weeks and months that came after everything really shut down, but in those initial moments when everything was just first starting, there was just this sense of like bewilderment, I think, that was starting to come over people that we just had all of this information and yet we didn't know how to make sense of it. We didn't know what to do with it. Oddly enough, this same time frame was when my journey into really healing from trauma really took root. It was in the isolation and in the loneliness that great anxiety started to overtake me. And I was prone to Google it. <laughs> you know, I was prone to try to figure out what was going on and what I could do about it. And it seemed, though, that the more and more and more that I dug, the more information I had, but the less I knew what to do with it. And that just became very overwhelming for me, you know? And we do this with our stories. And, and not all of this is bad, you know? Sometimes this comes through going to counseling or comes through even talking with a mentor or just getting curious about our own stories and starting to look at past patterns, like the curiosity that's behind that is not a bad thing. It's a very good thing. But sometimes what ends up happening is, you know, we've gone to, you know, perhaps an intensive or a retreat, or we've done a lot of work. And we start to see all these pieces of brokenness, we start to see all of this stuff that, you know, maybe we knew it was there, but we kind of just had been living with it. And yet there comes this moment where you can't escape it anymore. Suddenly, you know, the triggers are around every corner and you are just debilitated with the dread or the emotions, you know, whatever it feels like for you, there's a, an arresting that happens 
when you're in the thick of seeing everything. And there comes this point where you have started to see so much that you cannot unsee it. You know, where maybe some of this was veiled to you before and you had ways that you could somewhat escape it. You know, um, you could move that energy into something else. Now you can't do that. That's what happened to me during the lockdowns. I could not escape it. Everything that I did to deal with the anxiety that would get drawn up, I would channel into something else. You know, so whether that was volunteering at church or if it was getting together with friends or if it was doing things for my kids or with my kids, all of those methods of coping were gone. And so I came to this point where nothing that I used to manage these emotions was even available to me anymore. And I had all of this stuff that I did not know what to do with. And where I think the breakdown for us in our healing really comes from, where the loss of traction is when it comes to being able to move forward when you kind of hit this plateau, is that primarily most of us, most of the ways that we are using to process our trauma, most of these methods appeal to our logical minds. They appeal to our own understanding. They appeal to even if we're in a therapeutic relationship and we have a counselor, they appeal to even that person's ability to gain insight into the the situation or to provide insight into the situation. And the truth is there is a spiritual component of this. There's a spiritual component of trauma that is not often understood and even less often cared for. And yet it is so essential to our ability to move forward. So let me break this down. Let me tell you what I mean. So when I was writing Made for More, I was digging into chapter one is about Eve. It's about the fall. And one of the ways I love understanding spiritually what is happening in trauma comes from Dan Allender and his discussion of shalom and that that's what we were created for. That's what we were created to enjoy with the Lord in the garden was shalom and that in trauma that shalom is broken. But as I was writing Made for More, I found even just another way, or I should say maybe another layer to this, that really clicked to me as far as what is going on in our spiritual experience when we experience trauma. Okay, this one is for all my overthinkers out there. I used to be absolutely debilitated by intrusive thoughts. Everything from constant worry to just dread of the future, I couldn't make it stop. If you're there right now, I have developed a free downloadable guide to help you get your mind back. It's called Overthinking, Get Out of Your Head and On With Your Life. And you can download it for free right now at uncommonvalor.co. So if we look back at that Genesis creation account, we know that Adam and Eve were created and placed in the garden and that everything was good. And they were told not to eat from a specific tree. And that tree was called the knowledge of good and evil. That means this tree was called the knowledge of good and evil. That means Adam and Eve didn't actually have that. They did not have a knowledge of this dichotomy between good and evil. We weren't created to know it. They weren't created to know it. We weren't created to know it. We weren't created to experience and know evil. And yet the serpent comes in and deceives her. Now, in the deception, he says to her, 
not only will you not die, but he says to her, well, God knows that if you eat from that tree, you're going to be like him. So that's why he doesn't want you to eat from it. And so you think about what that does to Eve in that moment. Eve is thinking then like, wait a minute, like, why wouldn't God want me to eat from this tree? Like, why wouldn't he want me to be like him? Right? So she's questioning things about her identity and herself, but she's also questioning her relationship to the Lord and who he really is. So it's not even just a deception that he tricks her into eating from the tree. He is calling into question everything she knows to be true about herself, especially herself as a child of God. So if we look at where everything falls and breaks, it's in this moment. This is the first trauma. This is the first experience with evil that men and women were never created to know. And yet now they know it, you know, having eaten from this tree, they know it and they can't unsee it, right? They can't even escape it. It's just so present in even just their humanity now. It's infected them, right? So trauma then is where evil intersects our story. It's where evil comes in, this evil that we were not created to know or experience. And it's not even just the event itself, though. It's what it does to our understanding of who we are, who God is, and who we are in relation to other people. So these components then are continually perpetrated in our stories via lies. So what I mean is you will have this event that occurs, and may maybe it is an event that occurs multiple times, but the point is you'll have events that are traumatic, right? And those create a wound for us. But it is not even just the wound itself that we end up dealing with, because what happens is Satan knows in that place of vulnerability that he can come up and get real close to us and start hissing lies. He can start saying things to us that cause us to question who we are, who God is, who other people are. And it's those things that we may know some on the surface, we know what they are. You know, they're, they're the ones that say, you're unlovable. Nobody will want you. You're unworthy, you know. But then there are other lies that are even deeper than those that we're not aware of. There are things, even perhaps lies that are stacked on top of lies that we just start to live out of these places because we're trying to survive, you know? We're trying to just make it through and deal with this pain and just continue on the best that we know how. But all the while, this wound is getting more and more and more infected as he continues to hiss those lies and we continue to live from them. And this is why you cannot just positive think your way out of trauma. This is why you cannot just slap a silver lining on everything and just keep moving. It's because those lies are still so very present. And even in, in our natural minds, though we could say the truth, you know, and, and even if the truth is scripture, we can say those, those things and not believe them, have them not sink into your heart. And a lot of times as believers who are trying to deal with these things, you know, we're just thinking, oh my gosh, what is wrong with me? Like, why can't I feel this thing? Why can't I believe this? Why am I still perhaps reacting out of, of these lies in ways that I know are harmful to me? You know, like I am, I'm living life from this place of unworthiness and I know it, and yet I can't stop it. And so spiritually, what I want you to understand if you're in this space is that a lot of times it's not a matter of not having enough faith. 
And I know that that may have been thrown at you by someone who you trusted to teach you about the Lord and to represent him. But it's often not that you don't have enough faith. It's not an issue of faith. It's an issue of freedom. Spiritually, there are blockages and there are bondages that sometimes we are not even really aware of that can be holding us back and limiting some of our progress. And this is why I'm saying if we're only relying on things that the logical mind can perceive of, we're missing these other elements that sometimes are not readily knowable to us outside of some faith practices and some disciplines. Now, let me be clear here. I am not saying you just need to pray more. (laughs) I am not saying, well, you just need to go to church more often. I'm not saying that, not at all. What I am saying though, is that when I was having these regular bouts of panic, when I was having these panic attacks, I was doing all the things that they say to do. You know, I was doing the deep breathing, or I was trying to, (laughs) you know, all the things that they teach you to do, you know, that it's like, okay, well, your nervous system physically is dysregulated. So do these breathing exercises and it will help you to calm down. Right. And I just found like, you know, I could not focus my brain though. It was like, you know, whatever they said to do as far as the counting or, you know, this many counts in and this many counts out, like I just could not do it. It would make me actually, it would make me angry. (laughs) Um, And so I was like, I need something different. And somewhere around this time, I also started just really digging into, I'm kind of a word nerd. I was digging into original Greek and Hebrew about things and discovered that the Greek and Hebrew words both for the Holy Spirit mean breath. In Hebrew, it's ruach. In Greek, it's pneuma. But they both mean breath. And it says that when God created man, he put in him the breath of God. So when we think about our breath, that is the life essence of God himself inside of us represented through our breath. And so I started to connect deep breathing, yes, which is helpful for a, for your physical body, but with that spiritual reality of the presence of God is this close to me right now. He is right here. He is in this moment. He is not detached from my feelings. He's not detached from this experience that I'm having. He's not detached from the pain and everything that I'm going through right now and in the past. And it was in those simple it's just in the simple act of breathing and being aware of his presence that I started to gain a sense of the reality of his withness, that he is God with us. He's God with us anywhere, anytime. And that is hard, I understand as I'm saying that. That's hard to reconcile when it's like sometimes where, where was he when I was going through this thing or when this thing happened to me? And he can handle that. And we will talk about that, I promise, at another point. But first being able to say, this is beyond me. This is beyond my ability to cope, even in my natural body. This is beyond me. I need something more than me to contain all of this. And discovering that it is only the Lord. I realize this is the reason that we get stuck with having too much information, is that there's nobody to witness it. You know, and you might have community, you might have a counselor, you might have great people who do witness it with you, but there is a level of grief that no one person is able to hold for you. 
And even a collection of good people, if you have good people around you, they are not able still to witness all of it. They can't hold all of it. They can't be there with you at 3 a.m. in the morning, you know, but the Lord is. And that though all of this awareness of all this stuff brings up a great deal of grief that we cannot bear, he does. He can. He does. And when you have real concerns and real questions about God and what he thinks and where he was and all of those things, this is the easiest, smallest way to begin reconnecting or connecting for the first time, really. It is purely just being in the same place at the same time. And that opens the door, though, to being able to come and be fully yourself and to find the courage to speak the truth about what has happened to you, to speak the truth about what it has cost you, to speak the truth about what you now struggle with, struggle to believe, struggle, struggle to believe about yourself, struggle to believe about God, struggle to believe about your future. You can bring all of it to him. And he is the only one who is able to set any of that right. You know, even me and my best intentions, you know, if I tell you, hey, I know, I know there's a future for you. There's a part of you that's kind of like, yeah, really? But if you're spending time with the Lord and you begin to hear him speaking over you and you begin to hear him restoring your identity and giving you favor and blessing, it changes everything. And this is why the devil sought to sever the relationship between man and God. Because when there is unity there, when that shalom is being restored, it is powerful. It is absolutely powerful. It is a thing that brings a level of healing that you are not able to attain anywhere in any way else. And then it becomes a thing that you're empowered by to go and share and bless other people with. It is an overflow that nourishes you, but then flows outward to the people in your life. And I've even seen this so wonderfully in the ways that God has healed me and how it's helped me to connect with other people in their places of pain. But I've also seen, um, and I know this is not going to be everybody's story, but this is mine, where that healing is actually flowing back up the generations. You know, a lot of times we think about, okay, this healing will do benefits for the people to come after me, but I'm seeing it go back upwards into my parents and my grandparents. And it is absolutely, it's just, I don't have words. It's remarkable. And that even just seems like too shallow of a word. And this is the, the flow of the spirit. This is the river of life. This is the living water. And I saw this in Ezekiel 47 when the Lord was showing me about this river of life. And it shows up in multiple places in scripture. In Ezekiel 47, it talks about Ezekiel seeing it and it only being at first like ankle deep. And then it's like knee deep. And then it's up to his chest and then he can swim in it. And this is the way often the Lord brings healing to us. He is not going to give you so much that you are just going to drown in it. He's not. The way the Lord works is very slow and that can be difficult for us when we're suffering. But he knows that we need time to know how to trust him. He knows that we need some reassurance, a lot of reassurance, actually. He knows we need that. And he's gentle and he's patient in giving it to us. And then as we're ready to take on a little bit more, 
He gives us a little bit more and stretches us. And then it comes to a point, though, where we start to kind of expect this. And we know that when maybe something painful gets brought back or a trigger comes up or something like that, we know we're going to be met in it. And so we actually can start to see even triggers and difficult things, not as indications of dread, but actually vindications of healing, that like healing is on the way. I know how to find my, my Jesus in this, and he's going to give me exactly what I need. And that's the thing that fortifies us, not only then to be healed, but then to start to step towards the things that he's calling us to do that are sometimes going to seem like they're way outside of what we can do. And well, not sometimes, they are way outside of what we can do, but it's this gentle dependency, you know, shifting off of things as we know them to be and leaning on our own understanding and leaning on our logic and starting to step into the realm of the spirit and the way that he moves in and through us. And at the end of the day, this is what gets us unstuck. You know, we may be walking still with this limp in our lives. I'm not saying that like, oh, it's just going to dust you off and fix everything. But what I am saying is that what we need in order to get unstuck is not more information. We need an encounter with God that brings transformation. Thanks for being with me for this episode today. I hope you'll come back again. And in the meantime, you can follow me over on social media and find out about our resources and services over at uncommonvalor.co.